The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Noi mai hoki mai kia the Fold e mihi nei ko Duncan Grieve tokuingoa. My guest today is Madeline Sami, maybe maybe biggest star we've had on the show. Uh, certainly up there, uh, just like a phenomenally talented slashy of actor director writer just a person who isn't is just a highly creative uh and and very original force in in the kind of new zealand culture someone who she's basically same age as me and so i kind of feel like i know some of what the kind of ride she's had through uh, through New Zealand um, and a lot of the kind of institutions that kind of forged her and and that's what we talk about quite a bit in this podcast is like she came up through um, what was Silo is now Basement um, Theatre saw her um, there out last night went to the same show we talk a bit about that uh, that scene which I've talked about a bunch on this podcast because I think like you know, for a lot of New Zealand, you see, you know, you see people like Taika and Rose, um, Madeline, and, you know, unless you're like really in this thing, you see them kind of just when they sort of pop out into the culture. And and I'm really, really, you know, and they, they, they're there on merit and on their own steam. And yet it's also these these kind of institutions and pipes that are so crucial to, to making them and that's why I love the basement because you can see it at, you know at its most kind of nascent form when uh, these when these kind of new people have been birthed and the fact that people like Madeline and and a lot of the the kind of comics and, and actors and writers just continue to frequent that and kind of be nourished by and nourish uh, the, these kind of generations as they come through I think that's such a kind of crucial thing for us to understand and fight not to lose because every so often it does feel like they're uh, they're under strain uh, so we talk about that we talk about super city how that was made and there's there's something in what she says about the duration that she had to put that thing together with Tom Sainsbury from a writing perspective that I don't know happens often enough uh, with our TV products and and that might well be why that thing is just so pin sharp even today and and just kind of unimaginable to be made for multiple reasons uh, and then we talk about two shows which she's got dropping within weeks of each other Deadlock which is a very big budget I don't know what the budget is but it looks big uh, sort of hour long real original weird show that's being been made for Amazon Prime uh, Madeline's in one of the, the the key roles and it's a kind of you know, you could cut a trailer for it, which is like this is a noirish murder mystery uh, set in a remote rural town. We've all seen a bunch of those; they're great. This is that. It's also something else as well. It's, it's a very Madeline Sami weird production, uh, and yeah, that that that's coming out in a few weeks. And then I think maybe almost exactly the same time, there's Double Parked, which is a 
way low, you know, again, assuming, I don't know the budget, but it's, it feels lower. Uh, a New Zealand show, Alice Ned and Chris Parker, co-creators uh, you know, with Madeline Sami and uh, Kota Forrester in uh, sort of both starring and, and with, with writing or directing input as well. Um, and it's, you know, it's just much more intimate, but it has that kind of crackle of improvisation and the the actors being allowed to get weird and, and kind of riff and move that, uh, that, you know, differentiates it from some New Zealand comedies and certainly from that kind of, that strand of the more sort of format shows which have really dominated comedy here lately. Um, so that's, that's basically the shape of the conversation. Uh, Madeline's a, a real treasure, real thoughtful, um, really open and... You sort of we end by talking a bit about the writers' strike and user-generated content and that that whole soup. And she's got like a, a really nicely optimistic uh, and a pretty well argued point on that as well. So yeah, this is a real fun one. It's Madeline Sami on the fold. Kia ora, Madeline, and welcome to the fold. Kia ora, it's nice to be here. Um, so we were just talking before that uh, we sort of walked past one another last night at the basement, which is maybe my favourite venue to see anything in Auckland. Both went to the same show, uh, Liv Parker, who just killed. But I just wondered if we, you could kind of talk a little bit about that that live space, which is kind of where you began, and what what you know what keeps you returning there, both as a sort of an audience member and a participant in, in an institution like the Comedy Festival. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of like a, a like a spiritual theatre home for me. So when it used to be the Silo Theatre, when I was like a little uh, 17, I would have said 17, 18-year-old, and I was fresh out of high school, and I did a, a play called Three People at the Cinema, which was like a devised piece of work, which was probably the first thing I did out of high school. And it was like, it was all improv, but it was there was no talking, and it was like cinema seats, and it was myself and two other actors, and it was just like kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like in my memory, it's like Mr. Bean-esque kind of physical comedy. Um, and then, of course, the plays Bear and Number Two, which um, then kind of, you know, brought me onto the kind of scene, the theatre scene in Auckland. But, yeah, I spent, I've spent many an hour in that place. And it is it does have a magic about it. It has retained this sort of underground kind of um, safe space for people to, um, experiment and and make crazy stuff and like uh, it still has that energy about it and it still feels exciting to go and see shows there and you know um, I think back in the day it was just the the, bo- the bottom space but now we've got the upstairs which is of, of course where we saw live yesterday and it just feels like an exciting vibe it feels like that's where you know the new stuff the cool stuff is happening um, yeah and I guess that, I mean, that, that you sort of touched on it there, but I, I kind of wanted to get a sense from someone who has, you know, like you say, been through uh, that process and, and come to the, the you know, pretty extraordinary position you are now. You know, how, how do you sort of view the kind of health of it? Because there is that, that beautiful thing where there is like both a community and a sense of competition. Like everyone, if you see a show and you're a, a comic or, or in the industry and it, it feels like a vault or it's in a new direction, it kind of, you can sort of sense the way it starts to kind of crackle through crackle through the room and the community more broadly. Yeah, I think it just feels like 
it feels like, you know, and you see someone like live last night and you're like, oh, there's a, there's the next generation, you know, and we're all a bunch of oldies in the, in the, in the crowd going, here we go. There's like, I think, you know, you know, it, it definitely is that sort of, it's, it's competitive, but for more than anything, it's supportive and it's just inspiring. You know, it's like, um, I guess there's just a lot of people doing cool stuff and, you know, you kind of go along and you're just inspired to kind of keep, keep on going. Um, and yeah, it feels like it's such a workable space as well. It feels like you can kind of go in there and take any gear and go into that black box space, that classic black box and cre create something out of nothing, you know? And I think that's what keeps people going back to a space like that because it feels like, um, you know, you can kind of go in there with an idea and even not really a plan and come out with a show. And that's why I feel like it constantly kind of breeds this kind of, um, you know, type of performer in New Zealand where we're just kind of pushing the envelope and trying new things and, you know, encouraging each other to kind of be um, weirder and more interesting. And, you know, I think that transfers through into other spaces like when those people get older and they move on and they take that into like tv or you know like inevitably have to you know pay the rent <laughs> a bit more you know um but at least when you're a bit younger and you're you're a bit keen you can kind of go in there and go crazy you want to talk a bit about what like how those things are made because you've you've directed a show um i think it was a rosa show i think played at basement and um and there is that kind of there, there's like theater community and the comedy community there and they, they sort of seem to feed off one another in the sense that there are these sort of processes that that forge and improve the the shows and that that seems like a, a quite a beautiful kind of creative environment that isn't necessarily common to some of the more solitary creative arts that we have yeah I mean I think you know I grew up the kind of generation I grew up in you know like um the first time I did number two, the play at Silo Theatre was part of this New Works Festival um, that was commissioned. Uh, so there was, like, myself, um, there was a, a crew that included, like, Brett McKenzie, um, Joe Randerson, Jackie Van Beek. They did a devised play, like, you know, for a couple of weeks after I did number two. And, you know, um, there's always been this, like, spirit of devising around that space. And, um, uh yeah, I think the comedy thing kind of came in a bit later. It used to be kind of more of a theatre space. Um, but I think when those kind of worlds collide, they they inevitably kind of influence each other. So, like, you know, directing um, Rose in, in Finally Dead, you know, which, you know, I love that show and I keep telling her, like, she needs to, like, do a special or something because it's such a weird little show and there are so many kind of meta aspects and there's so many kind of theatrical things in that show it's quite different from her other stand-up I think um but you know obviously she kind of got me on board because I do have a bit more of that sort of brain um but yeah I think it's 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 not it's nice that there's a space where those kind of things can influence each other um and like I said before you know it is like a kind of a, a space where people can kind of push each other's boundaries in terms of like how how strange you could make something or how interesting or like what you can do with really very few resources um you know uh at, you know for me when I did number two back there in, in uh, 1998 or nine um we had it we had no resources we had a chair <laughs> and I play you know I had to play all the characters and you know I had to do that with my body and my voice and that's and then I toured that show forever and that's kind of 
um, you know, I've been doing characters before that, but that sort of solidified my, um, I guess my, you know, my thing really and in, in, in playing lots of characters and being able to kind of shift in and out. Um, that was kind of a really succinct kind of version of, of what I've continued to do now in film and, and TV and um, stuff like that. So, yeah. That's quite an interesting way of sort of segueing into the the kind of next piece because sometimes I feel like, I you know, I went to three shows last night and kind of still feel like I'm in serotonin deficit from just too, too much laughing. Yeah, face hurts and just like a little bit kind of low, <laughs> you know, I gave up too much. No, you're depressed. Yeah, it's a real thing. But um, the – Thinking about like that that kind of process of really sweating and and encouraging the leaning into the weird and and allowing people to be really vulnerable, like when you when you move into making for television and you know that there's a common kind of you know critique you sometimes hear from people that that shows don't get to develop in the same way and with that same kind of um, respect for how fragile they are when the idea is small. That is, is some of the, the those kind of live productions do, and because like, I, you know, as a person who's been a critic at various, you know, like like a, a working critic, have felt like there is a gap between the extraordinary talent that exists in those spaces and how and the work that sometimes gets on onto the screen. Do you, you know, and you, as someone who's been through those processes, do you think that that development space is right, or you know, at the moment? Like you, like in terms of like, there's not enough development in TV, uh, or there's not enough time given. Yeah, exactly. Like, like how how you take it from, you know, an, an idea to to the screen. Like, does it get that same opportunity to kind of gently evolve? Yeah, as, as... I mean, it definitely doesn't. You know, and you kind of use you kind of have to adapt to the way like a TV making process works. But I mean, you know, like back in the day when we did Super City, Tom and, Tom and I, I mean, you know, and so this has changed a lot even in, in the television industry. I felt like we had months and months to write together. We were learning to write TV together. We were going online and looking at like how like a third act structure works and like, you know, what you need to do to, before you get to the ad break and stuff like that, um, which has all changed now with streaming anyway, the whole, that whole sort of thing, the, the whole thing has evolved so much. Um, but we did get more time back in the day. I think now, um, I mean, what I find in the stuff that I do is that I still have, I still take all of that stuff that I've learned from my days in theatre into what I do now. So, that, like you know, for example, with Jackie and I, when we made the Breaker Uppers, you know, we worked we worked on that screenplay on and off for like you know a long time, and we put it through many of the processes we'd put a play through, a, a devising a play through. We'd we'd do workshops with it, we'd stand it up, we'd we did a a, a workshop where we just had comedians to just put jokes in and help us with jokes. We did a we did read throughs, we did um, we re rewrote the whole thing with another writer for fun, you know, like. And then when we got to the when we got to shoot it, we we deliberately cast people that we knew were good improvisers because we wanted to keep that spirit alive of the thing, which is how we'd go about we both go about devising a play, and that's the kind of um, you know kind of world we grew up in. And you know, people like Taika, you know, they do that. We, we all kind of came from that same sort of theatre world of devising things and keeping things alive. So it's sort of that. I guess in terms of create the creative process, it's about um, never forgetting that stuff that you know 
it's about merging, I guess, those those two processes for us, you know, and a lot of the time when I'm pitching on a project to direct or whatever, you know, and people are like, what, are you, what is your style? And I'm like, well, I come from a theatre background is often what I lead with because for me that says a lot about how I want to approach the work and how much, uh, you know, I'm an actor. I like to give, I like actors to feel powerful in their parts. Sometimes actors go into like a TV show or that, kind of, you know, more corporate world or or more rigid kind of world of making TV and they're told what to do and where to stand and stuff and that's never how I've wanted to approach uh, work because I don't feel like it creates the best results and, you know, like I feel like the best shows are are when that chemistry and that um, camaraderie and all that that play is is like there on the surface and that definitely comes from a background in theatre. So I think the key... Is you're never going to be able to like you know the process of making TV is what it is it or films it is what it is um, if you're able to get the budget to like spend the time like that's that would be amazing but oftentimes you don't so you kind of have to compromise and then work out you know how you can still maintain those things and like keep those things with you that you've learned from the past that make that you know make the work better and then also you know get it get it shot on time. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you you touched on it at the start of that, but but I re- recently just uh, in prep for this rewatched that that first episode of Super City, and it is it's still this kind of electrifying, kind of chaotic, really brave, original um, piece of television. Uh, do do you you know how how do you kind of relate to that that show now, and and what you know what are the kind of what what was it about that that kind of special group, you know, different kind of generations and backgrounds that kind of coalesced into making something pretty kind of rare and special in the New Zealand context? I mean, I think I was kind of quite obsessed with, like, deluded people and, like, you know, culturally for me I've always – I'm mixed race and I've always um, – you know, at that time especially, I think I was questioning a lot of that. And, I, you know, especially with a character like Pasha in, from Super City Season 1, who is just, you know, so familiar to – is kind of like an enhanced version of probably what I was going on – what was going on for me, you know, like a character who is so obviously not white but trying so hard to be and get along in that world. And so for me, um, it was – yeah, I mean, looking back now, I think – we got to be quite punk in terms of like um, getting to make a network television show where we had, you know, a, a rough sleeping character who finds a baby. Like, I just don't feel like, I don't feel like that stuff gets to get made. So I feel really privileged that we got to kind of push the boat out a bit. And, you know, um, Tom and I really did learn how to write TV on making that show. Um, and, you know, we got Tyka directed it. And so we were this kind of like, um, we got to really experiment a lot with that. And, you know, in terms of the writing, I think identity was such a, is such a massive um, part of that first season of that show and, and the comedic, you know, kind of comedic and dark ways people kind of where they find their family or where they find, where they feel, how they feel most at home in themselves and where that takes them or like the kind of exploring the delusion of that and the fun and the kind of darkness of that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I feel like it was a really it was really fun to kind of be able to just go what what are the kind of characters I could play that I haven't seen and how do we explore this kind of notion of what an Aucklander is and 
um, you know, that sort of thing. So it was, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It's all a bit of a blur. It was, you know, I I feel like I was making up for not getting cast in a lot of my high school plays by <laughs> myself as the as the five leads. And then I was just like the actual practicality of shooting it. I was like, this is a nightmare. I was so tired. <laughs> so a lot of it's like amnesia for for the process. But um it was it was a it was a lot of really good learning for um for Tom and I as well, just like learning how to write and um, you know, getting to kind of do that thing that I'd done in theatre for many years on on screen. And that were Katerina Denave, who um had seen me do my plays for years, was the one that kind of pushed me to to make to put that on to TV. So I'll always be grateful to her vision for that. Um, I'd, I'd really love to sort of drill into to some, some of that, but I'm conscious that we're sort of running out of time a bit. And I do want to talk about the two shows that you're, you know, like this is it's kind of wild to be dropping these two like very different but really kind of uh, rich shows at the same time. Um, next You'd month. You'd be so sick of my face by the end of this month. I'd just be like... Get her off my screen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really the your, your errors tour. So tell me about Deadlock to start with. Um, like everything from the showrunners to the duration to like the tonal range to the way that your character kind of looks and behaves feels really original and like a move on from the – like a, it, it kind of has some of the tropes of, of the kind of dark crime thing in terms of its look, but it's also just, just super odd. Just to, to tell us what drew you to that that project. Um, well, I've been a fan and friend of the Kates for a long time. They they actually um, we had a Skype back in the days when you used Skype. Uh, they asked me to direct um, Get Cracking like many many years ago, um, and we had a Skype about it. And I was keen. I'd seen the catering show, and I just thought that was so funny. And I felt like our comedic sort of flavor was very um similar and um we had the skype i was just like i love these women and then uh, we got production funding for breaker opera so the timing didn't work out and then i stayed friends with them over the years and kind of became friends with them online and had a cameo and get cracking and then uh in 2021 they kind of approached me to do some writing for deadlock and i had a bunch of writing projects at the time but i was like i need this is i need to make i need to work with these women I love them. They are my friends now. I want to work on anything with them. And it was like, um, I don't think at that point I knew it was like an Amazon show even. I just was like, I want to write with them. This sounds like really, um, you know, it sounds like a really ambitious project. And I was keen. So I started on board as a writer. And this is all in the pandemic. So we're in virtual writers' rooms. It's all very strange. I don't even think, I think with the restrictions in Melbourne, the Kates couldn't even get into a room together. So we're all sort of writing. And at this point, I've known them for like four or five years and I've never met them. And then kind of went, got through that process and then got asked to audition, which I thought was a joke. <laughs> cranking me. Because I'd write, written on this thing and I had no, I didn't think of myself in, in this part at all. I had an idea of this person in my head from writing it. It wasn't me. And I, got, I auditioned for both leads uh, really focused more on Dulcie, the Kate Box character. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, you know, got got the Eddie part, um, which, you know, is probably one of my favourite characters I've ever played, to be honest, because she's just nothing like nothing you've really ever seen a w woman do on screen before, you know, get to be that really brash kind of, kind of quite aggressive um, sort of 
um, initially anyway, probably unlikable <laughs> kind of rough gal. Um, so, and they really let me play with that as well. And yeah, it was just, I think the Kates are geniuses. Like they, they're so subversive and they really wanted to take this genre and like upend a bunch of the tropes. And I think they've done a really good job of that. And they've managed to kind of keep the humor in there, but also like the crime story is really compelling too. So it's, yeah, it was, it's, it does feel like something really original and it feels really exciting to be part of something that's that's going for something, you know, that's going for something different and not just coasting along and trying to be the same as everything else. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And then the other project that you're working on is is a group of you know it's 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 uh, double packed, Alice Ned and Chris Parker kind of create creators and and a group that have sort of come up together maybe a generation back from you but certainly who have gone th- gone through the same institutions and processes that you have. What what's sort of different about working with people that you have that sort of long relationship with and and then the kind of shared you know, kind of cultural experience with in a lot yeah. of ways? Yeah, I mean, Double Parked is like, you know, so I've worked with Alice and Chris since Funny Girls Days. So that's sort of going back like eight years ago like when I was working with Rose and those guys. And um, so I've known them for years. There's a shared kind of, again, sense of humour and history there. My DOP on Double Parked, um, Paul, started out as a camera, like assist or something on, on Funny Girls. My... Um, wardrobe um designer a costume designer Sasha was um funny girls I think was her first costume designing job and so now we've all been involved with shows with each other developing and this is a big you know big props to Bronwyn who used to um you know who was the producer on funny girls and and John on Ben who has just in the background been giving comedic actors like the opportunity to develop as comedy writers, as TV writers. She, she deserves a lot of credit for for doing that um, quietly in the background. Um, so we've all known each other for years. And there's this, like, shorthand, um, I think, that comes with just knowing people and knowing, you know, and I was I was directing and acting double in Double Park. So, and Chris was there every day. We had a six-week shoot. We had a bloody, we had floods. We had cyclones. It was a very intense, you know, classic low-budget New Zealand um, kind of TV shooting experience. But because of that shorthand between all of the creatives, it just felt very easy and very natural. And we all felt like we're on the same wave. And I remember at one point, just like, I don't even feel like I needed to have much of a costume meeting with Sasha because she just knew instinctively what we would be after, you know, never had to sort of say. So it was a, a treat to kind of be able to make a show with, friends basically and you know Antonia Preble was one of my dearest old friends and we've never really worked together before but we've been friends 
So this was our first time kind of acting opposite each other, and that was amazing because she's incredible. Um, so it was like it was fun to kind of act, and the same with Kate Box on Deadlock. Like you know, just you're you're working with a powerhouse, and it's like they help you bring your A game. You know, so yeah, and like vastly different shows, but like yeah, just really nice to make it. It felt like a real family making Double Parked. So lastly, I, I wanted to, to sort of touch briefly on the writer's strike, which is obviously kind of very present in the imagination of the, the worlds that you come from and, and some of the worlds that you operate in you, at the moment. You're not asking me about AI. It's freaking me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I, I do a lot of AI chat on this podcast, but I'll, I'll keep, keep it away from this one. I was more thinking about what the big different dynamic to me since the, the last writer strike in the 2000s is not actually AI, it's the rise of user-generated content and you know YouTube and, and TikTok particularly as sort of alternate valves for people's attention. And you know, one of the fears that I have as someone who loves the kind of craft of the, um, the that sort of, you know, the the more traditional or, or kind of staged approach to to making things that that we've been talking about this whole time, and and I sort of wondered, you know, and, and whether the absence of it will actually just kind of further accelerate those long term trends into into UGC and this kind of more. You know, because ultimately we were we were talking about, and you came up in the monoculture, and at a time when there was there were few spots, but you kind of could grab a, a large attention, and the whole uh, engine of the thing was that. I just wondered what, what your kind of relationship was with the likes of YouTube and, and TikTok, and you know whether you see them as challenging the the kind of you know those those worlds of, of television and film or whether you view them as, as kind of distinct and complementary I think I think I'm on the I mean I don't really know I don't get involved in a lot of it um I mean I I, I can get lost on TikTok just kind of watching stuff it feels pretty harmless to me um I you know I'm constantly <laughs> you know it's like this is such a dad thing I'm going to totally reveal this but Taika sends me TikToks all the time <laughs> and I'm like you're such a dad now he's like look at this funny video but like I think there is like, <laughs> I think it is I mean jury's out really because it's so sort of new to me but like I, I feel like it is complimentary I feel like you know there was this um there's people do what I like about TikTok is there's often just kind of like people doing something weird that then catches on and becomes a trend and then that becomes kind of influential influential to the culture like I don't know what this style is called but you know the Starbucks girl who does those kind of weird surreal Starbucks videos where and I'm just like that's kind of weird very interesting to me and like who would have got to make a show like that in this day and age with that sort of like that sort of style of whatever that's called like surreal nightmare dream video whatever it's called I don't know I just feel like there's there's a place for it for sure um I mean you you'd hope that we wouldn't lose that it wouldn't be like a case of one or the other that we wouldn't lose and I feel like I feel like people just shift you know like it's like it's like cycles you know like how in music you know there was like it's a singles based kind of culture but then there's a whole movement of like you know, like all my friends' teenagers are buying vinyl and listening to vinyl and getting really excited about vinyl again. And and so they're listening to music and thinking about music in a really different way. Um, and then I remember this, I remember someone saying, oh, you know, we got this, you know, because I got a lot of musician friends being like, oh, you know, it's such a single bass. It's so hard to kind of like, what's the point of making a record? Da, 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 da. And I was like, 
that's not new. You know, like in the 50s, it was a really, 60s, it was like a really singles-based thing. So we, I think we just go through cycles and like things kind of pop up and come down. And I don't, I'm not sure about the longevity of like these kind of short, short attention span type um, video um, apps, <laughs> short attention span video apps. I mean, maybe we've just all got ADHD now and that's all we can handle. Um, and I think after the pandemic and everything the world's been through, we do need a little light entertainment. And I think something like TikTok can be that, you know. But then we all like lock into succession once a week and we all like wait. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like both can coexist and I feel like both have like pros and cons. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm open to it, Duncan. I'm not mad. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's such, that's such a beautifully optimistic take, which, you know, and you I'm more scared of AI. Case. Let's not talk about it. I'm more scared of AI taking <laughs> my image and being like, oh, season two of any show that I'm done, they've, they've, they've already bought it. That was It was in my contract. I didn't sign off on it, but they have my image and I'm done. It's, it's like Seinfeld vision from 30 Rock, you know, <laughs> they just, just drop you into <laughs> Sami vision anyway. in, in every show. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much uh, for this. It's been such, such a fascinating insight into to the way that you kind of operate in these these different worlds and why why you've just you know continued to be the, the busiest person in New Zealand show yeah. business. It's it's a joy to watch. Thanks, mate. That was the fold brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.